0: Go for your dreams, follow your passion, trust your gut, listen to your heart and don't listen to people who tell you that you can't. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs Podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a happy, light and willing partner. I'm your host Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication so you can have more fun and fulfilment whilst prioritising partnership with your horse. Want to find out my horse training philosophy? Access the free connection and communication mini course at amaliadempsey.com. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Welcome back everyone to episode 4 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. And in this episode, one of my students, Emma, is actually going to be interviewing me. I have this strange habit where I actually end up just becoming friends with my students. So Emma and I thought it would be a cool idea on this podcast if she actually interviews me so that my listeners can get to know me a little bit better and also so that I can have some more practice interviewing because honestly, I'm new to this, but I hope you're enjoying all the episodes so far. So let me share with you a little bit about Emma. Emma got into horses when she was nine. She had two rescue horses that she visited every day next door to her. And then in the move of a family divorce, she had to part ways with those horses. She said to her nine-year-old self that she would save all her dollars and one day have her own dream horse. And at 25, she got her girls Zen, a Friesian warm blood, and Polina, a Lipizana gorgeous mare. She says that they are her yin and yang, and they absolutely are. So I work one-on-one with Emma in real life with her beautiful mess, Zen and Polina, and she's making some awesome progress so far. She says currently she's in training with Amalia, and she's taking it all in, and she's returning as an adult rider after a long spell from horses. She's revisiting everything that she's been taught previously as a kid, but with much more understanding, and she says an efficient trainer. Thanks, Emma. Um, She says, Amalia was a perfect fit to what I was wanting to achieve with my horses. She takes the time to understand your goals and analyzes what a realistic outcome for your horses will be. She provides natural and methodical insights, which instills confidence in her students. This aims them to grow and challenge themselves in a safe environment and on their own horse journey. Thanks, Emma. I didn't know I was going to be reading that out. Um, She also says her goals are connection, trust, and overall improving her riding to be a better balanced rider. She hopefully wants to master the three simple paces this year so she can have confidence on the beach and in trails outside of the arena. Outside of breeches and riding boots, she owns a homewares and clothing boutique called Gilbert and Co. where she designs and imports goods from all over the world. Between an additional PT marketing role, gigging and running a farm, she has a pretty full on schedule. But animals and horses have always been a love of hers and she finds them very grounding and honest. I'm super excited to share with you this interview between Emma and I, but before I do so, I really wanna thank everyone who has left me a rating and review so far. And as a way of saying thank you, I'm offering anyone who leaves me a written review on Apple Podcasts Or to anyone who screenshots this podcast and shares it on their Instagram story, a free checklist of 10 things you can do to improve your relationship with your horse. So here's what you need to do. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a written review and make sure you take a screenshot of that review and send it to me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or just screenshot this episode as you're listening to it right now and upload it to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag me at Amalia underscore horses and say thank you. I will reply with my 10 tips for improving your relationship with your horse. But without further ado, let's get stuck into this podcast episode and interview with me ran by Emma. So let's jump in. Hello, Emma. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So, as I've just explained, Emma's going to be running today's podcast. She's going to be interviewing me. So, I'm going to hand the reins over right now and let's get started.
1: Off we go. How exciting. Thanks for having me today. So, I really just want to start off with, um, like, tell me a bit about yourself and your life and your horses. So, when did you first get into your horses? sort of who have you learned from and studied with and how long have you been doing it for? And yeah, and what are you doing with your horses today?
0: So for as long as I can, I have been obsessed with horses. Um, I didn't come from a horsey family, so I had to beg my parents for horse riding lessons. And luckily they were um, happy to support me in that, especially my mum, because she always wanted to ride horses herself. So she was very happy to give me that opportunity. So I rode in riding schools for a little while, and then when I went to school, I met a girl who had her own horse, and naturally, I was just thinking, yep, I want to be best friends with this girl, Um, and that pretty much kick-started off everything, because I ended up leasing one of her horses, and eventually buying her, and that was my first horse, Zippy, and then um, yeah, I just started going to riding club, pony club, worked my way up through the grades, had lots of lessons with um, various instructors, I've been very blessed to have uh, coaching from Olympic-level riders like Megan Jones, Wendy Schaefer, Jill Rolton, um, all of which are very high-profile eventers, and uh, yeah, so I just kept competing. I've always uh, loved being involved in that, particularly in eventing, and then later down the track, I got my two beautiful fillies that I, well, I still call them fillies, but they're mares now, Um, and that basically opened me up to the world of natural horsemanship because I wanted to find out the absolute best possible way to start them under saddle. And then, yeah, one thing led to another and I was, you know, eyes, eyeball deep in natural horsemanship information and clinics. And I had a lot of instruction from various Pirelli natural horsemanship instructors like Susan Castell, Chris Corbridge, Rachel Clarkson, um, and also Russell Higgins and David Grace. So a lot of big names there as well and I yeah I've never looked back I've just absolutely loved the journey so far and I'm still learning to this day so yeah that's a brief kind of intro into my life with horses so far but I'm planning on doing a full episode in depth on you know each of the horses that I've had and what I've learned from each of them etc but yeah that's just a brief intro on uh, my horse journey so far.
1: Oh, that's amazing. What an incredible start to your horsey life. So how often are your mares being worked weekly at the moment?
0: So I actually have a, a bit of a funny feeling about the word worked because I try not to see it as work for my horses, but I get it because everyone uses that language and sometimes I still do too, to be honest. But I have sessions where I play with my horses. Um, it it really depends on what horse is the focus. So I will usually have one horse that's my main focus. So she'll be or she'll have a session or be played with uh, roughly four or five times a week. And then the other one who's not so much my focus will have one or two sessions. So I do give them off days. I, I think that's important for anyone, human or horse, to have off days. Um, and they're still young, so I don't really want to overwork them. And I don't give them super hard sessions. Like very rarely are they sweaty after my sessions. So yeah, it's more about that mental engagement for them.
1: Oh, okay. That actually sounds like a really good breakup of how you work with them. So how often would you lunge them then? Do you recommend it? And if you do, or if you don't, why would that be?
0: I call lunging more so circling um, because, well, that's literally what it is, right? You circle the horse around you, but I don't use things like people would normally do in traditional lunging, like side reins and a long lunging whip. I'm not against the use of side reins completely, it's just I choose not to use them in my training and I think they can be misused. Um, And I only really circle my horses around me if I need to teach them something specifically, like if I'm working on teaching them transitions or uh, yielding their hindquarters or forequarters in motion. Uh, Very rarely will I use it to kind of get the beans out of them like a lot of people do. You know, they think, oh, the horse is hot, let's just lunge it. I usually tend to do the opposite of that, which is give them lots of time to be still and kind of process their emotions. So I will only really use lunging or circling to teach them something new um, or work on something like transitions, etc. But in saying that, I think circling is really important to teach because it sets up for so many other tasks, like you need to be able to do that in order to send your horse over a jump on the ground or to be able to load them onto the float. So, yeah, I do think it's essential, but I do think it's kind of overused as well in general. Does
1: that make yeah, sense? That's a, Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I like how you call it circling rather than lunging. It doesn't sound as harsh. So, yeah, no, nah, it comes with yeah. it. Comes it comes across a lot easier to a beginner to explain it like that so yeah I think um so then with your girls how often would they be saddled and ridden like I find it interesting you've got such a busy schedule and I know you've got lots of commitments outside of your horses so um yeah how do you fit that all in and how often are you saddling and riding them
0: yeah so with before when I was talking about how how many sessions or play sessions I have a week with them, generally I will ride most of those sessions now. Like when I when they were much younger, I would probably do 50-50, like 50% of the time riding 50% of the time uh, just a groundwork session. So uh, but at the moment they'll be ridden most of those sessions. And as you know, I lead a bit of a double life because I'm a physio as well as a horsemanship coach. So I, I need to prioritize time with my own horses in order to fit that in. Uh, and my husband will tell you that I'm super grumpy if I don't get time with my horses every single day. So I just make that a priority. I'm, I'm an early bird. I get up really early. I like to ride my horses first thing in the morning because that's what sets me up for a really good day. I feel most happiest when I can do that first thing. Um, so yeah, I guess I just, I make the time, um, and get up early.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Massive hats off to you. I think you're doing an incredible job. But I guess after that training session, I know you said you don't necessarily always get your girls up to a sweat. How do you let your horses get cooled down after an exercise? Like I've seen on your Instagram, you let them lay down with you and it's such a beautiful moment. Is that normally what you do to cool the girls down after an exercise?
0: Yeah, so most times I will offer them the chance to roll after a ride. So I'll finish the ride. Usually I finish on a really good note. Like, so let's say I've just been working on Canada transitions and they give me an awesome Canada transition. I will just leap off because I really want to mark that behavior. Like, yep, perfect job, game over, day's finished. And and so they really feel like, oh, like that's what she wanted Um, rather than staying on and walking them for another 10 minutes. So I hop off, um, take their saddle off. I have a quick bite of loose, and I call it their protein shake. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I take them back to the arena, let them roll, let them stay down if they want to. And sometimes, especially Harriet, she might stay down for a good fifteen or twenty minutes and have a nap. Um, and then, because the horses. Uh, paddocks like quite a distance from the arena there's a bit of a walk a long walk back there so that's a part of their cool down as well but I think it's really important to spend just as much time just being with your horse rather than always asking them to do things so it's kind of a physical and a mental cool down by lying down after riding.
1: I think that's so special and I'd love to be able to get there with my girls too I'm gonna, gonna get to that spot where I can lay down and roll Next to them, I think that's yeah, really lovely to watch. I will get there one day. So me being a student, I really enjoy this question is how do you keep your students engaged in a lesson? So how do you push on and yeah, really keep that enthusiasm
0: in? You tell me. Because um, it's not really really something I've thought about, to be honest. But I think because I'm so passionate and engaged in the lesson, that keeps people interested as well. Honestly, the the time in a lesson just flies by. Like, I just I start the lesson, I'm like, okay, what do you want to get out of today's session? And the next minute, it's like been an hour and a quarter already. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've gone over time. So um, yeah, I think because I'm so into it, I haven't ever noticed that the students disengage. So yeah, you tell me. how do I keep you engaged?
1: No, I definitely know you don't disengage and I could happily sit there for hours listening to what you've got um planned for our lessons and goals you've got for us. And I think um just your enthusiasm comes across beautifully as well. So I think if you have a lesson and someone doesn't feel like they're engaging with you, you kind of just lose that and it just plateaus. But I've never experienced that with you. So I don't think I will. But um, because you come to a lesson with such um, a vision and a plan for your students. So that's one I really would love to um, know a bit more about is you are always goal setting and manifesting elements of what you can achieve and what you think your students can achieve. So do you always have a plan and a vision for your students?
0: Yeah, so uh, especially the last 12 months, I've had a whole heap of new students. And as I'm getting busier, I realise that I actually start to think about my students as how I do with my own horses. So each of my horses, I'll have a plan and an idea of where I want them to be in 6, 12 months and even within a session. And I realized I was actually doing that kind of subconsciously uh, for my own human students. So I sort of think, okay, where do I want this person to be in a year? I take into consideration their goals as well, of course, but I have a bit of a plan in my head as to where I'd like them to be also. And I think that's probably a part of what keeps them engaged because Perhaps I don't know, you tell me um, you can feel that there's that kind of unspoken plan around your progress. Yes. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think your teaching style in that aspect is very collaborative. So um, you come with a goal in mind, but you're always open and transparent with what I guess the student and the horses can achieve too. So yeah, I really appreciate that in your teaching style. Thank you. <laughs> so I guess back to you, how would you describe your teaching style? I know you've done a lot of different natural horsemanship courses and um, you've, you've had so many different elements of professional trainers and you've kind of moulded it into your own teaching style. Do you sort of have a style? Do you put yourself in a box or how do you, how do you think your teaching style comes across or how would you describe it?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question because I've always felt this need to kind of categorise myself into a box, but I'm starting to accept that I don't really fit into a box. It's kind of lonely when you are like that, though, because I feel I'm very different from, say, you know, the mainstream equestrian rider, but I'm kind of still different from the person who just does natural horsemanship and you know i'm not a pirelli professional i did consider doing going down that pathway for some time when i was really involved in the program and look i still love the program but i'm such an individual and i feel like i have so much more to offer in terms of the other things that i've been exposed to in the other knowledge base that i have that i can't really just wear that hat so, I've interpreted Pirelli in my own way, um, and I draw from my toolbox of knowledge from my competitive equestrian background, my natural horsemanship, and also my knowledge from physio, so the biomechanics side of riding. And with those aspects, I try and adapt myself to the horse and rider that's in front of me as well, because I feel like everyone needs something a little bit different. And uh, it really depends on where they're at. So I kind of try and meet the writer where they're at. And using my toolbox, we develop a plan and move forwards.
1: I love that idea of the toolbox. I think that's such a great analogy. So yeah,
0: that's awesome.
1: And I think you have really hit the nail on the head. There you are your own teacher you have got your own style and I don't think you would fit into a box ever because you're forever developing your own skills so yeah I think that's answered that one really beautifully but I really want to get back to the um your horses so tell us about each of your horses and their personalities and what they're like for you and outside of home for you and maybe out venting. what are they like?
0: So, I've got three horses. People mostly only know about Harriet and Beauty. I do have another horse called Oscar. He's retired. He's got navicular syndrome. So, that's probably why people don't see too much of him. So, I'll start off with Harriet. She is my soul horse. I met her as a foal, and she was like, instantly, I felt this connection between us. She has such a soft, kind energy. Everyone that meets her just thinks, oh she's such a sweetie and that's what they say like oh she's so gentle and nice and she is and she's a little bit of an old soul in um horsemanship personality kind of categorizing she is an introvert um and she can be left or right brain so that means she can sometimes be really calm and collected and other times she can just switch and be really worried and really scared so uh, I have to adapt to help her in those situations but she's also a very proud mare. She's very um, confident in herself. She's got a lot of dignity. And I do believe in the wrong hands, she, she wouldn't take any crap from anyone. Um, so I love that about her. I love that she's so sweet, but she still has a lot of self-respect in a way. Then there's Beauty, who is the little sass queen. Um, she's very playful, very confident, and she's more of like a new soul. So I wouldn't say she's an old soul. She's uh, she's a bit mischievous and cheeky. Um, and she also knows that she's pretty amazing. Like you see her trotting through the paddock and she's just doing this amazing extended trot and she's like looking around like, look at me, everyone. Um, <laughs> and she's also a very... Uh, very hormonal mare, I would say. So she's, as soon as there's a gelding, like doesn't have to be a stallion, as soon as there's a gelding around, she knows about it and she'll be squirting and <laughs> all sorts of things. So yeah, she's uh, very much a merry mare, that one. And then there's Oscar. So he, he's a bit harder to read because I feel that he's had a hard start to life, perhaps from his days as a racehorse. He's very reactive. He's lightning quick when he wants to spook and run. Um, But in saying that, he's also a very quick learner. And once you get his trust, he's very um, happy to kind of be obliging and and follow you. Um, And I actually feel like in the last 12 months, we've probably bonded a whole lot more than previously. And I think that's simply because he's been in with the other mares since my first pony Zippy passed away. So he's been in with the girls and he's he's a lot more of me now and we interact a lot more and yeah, I feel that we're starting to get a better connection. So yeah, that's a bit about my three horses.
1: Oh, I love that. You've got a little profile for each of them and you sound like you know them inside out, which is really special. I think you know what makes them tick and what not to do. And it's just, yeah, really special. I think listening to someone that knows their horses in that depth. So good on you. Um, And I want to actually get back to you. So I want you to tell all of us something interesting about yourself that most people don't know so have a think what else exciting have you got you can share with us
0: um there's lots of things that people don't know about me <laughs> um but i people are always surprised when i go out and give horsemanship coaching lessons and they're like oh so you offer some lessons now and i'm like oh no, I'm off to the clinic now. And they're like, what? So a lot of people don't know that I'm actually a physio as well. Um, So yeah, a lot of people are surprised when they hear that. And also I don't like cooking. Most people that are close to me know that, but I just, I would much rather be doing something with the horses, to be honest, and, and not creating dishes for myself. So I really just like cooking.
1: All right. So I know for next time. Always bring takeaway to Amalia's. Don't ever ask her to cook for you. Excellent. I've got that one down, Pat. Very good.
0: I was going to say, the non-horsey husband is very good at cooking. So if you do want to come over for dinner, he'll cook for us.
1: (laughs) Right. Lock it in, non-horsey husbands. I'll have to bring my non-horsey partner, I think, and make it happen. Have a bit of a cook-off. So other than horses, I know you've got so many different hats. So what else are you interested in, aside from horses?
0: Well, horses are... The, the primary focus but I'm also really into self-development which is kind of closely linked into horses as well because the better you can be the better you can be for your horses and the better your horses will go so I love listening to sure. self-development books and audiobooks podcasts etc uh obviously I'm also interested in physio given that that's my career and um yeah learning about human anatomy and biomechanics I'm also really interested or uh, have an on and off kind of relationship with yoga over the years. I've I've done stints of it doing hot yoga or just uh, regular, you know, vinyasa flow that's not in heat. Um, so I've done a bit of that as well. I also really like art, although I don't really have much time to pursue that these days. But when I was a lot younger, I was really into drawing and painting and especially horses, of course. And I also am a little bit into fashion as well. I used to be a model and worked at Australian fashion labels whilst I was studying. So I yeah, have an interest in that too, although I feel like I can't dress myself very well, but that's another story.
1: <laughs> you always look gorgeous and glamorous, no matter whether it's in your horse gear or casual gear. So I don't think you need to worry about that whatsoever. But I guess with a bit of your self-care and self-love, I'm jumping forward a bit here, but do you have a quote or a mantra you like to live by while we're in that headset?
0: I love quotes and there's so many to choose from. And this question always kind of stumps me because I'm like, how can you choose just one? Um, And I don't really have a mantra as such, but there are three quotes that I really like. The first one is, you are what you repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. I think that's an Aristotle quote, but don't quote me on that. So basically that's just saying that, you know, excellent, you're not, you're not born with excellence. It doesn't just happen. It's something that you actually have to do every single day in order to, to live that. It's basically um, the same as kind of thinking, be who you want to be now, because it's not just going to happen. You have actually have to create it. Um, The next one is positive thinking will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. And I'm still working on this. I'm not putting it all of the time. But I definitely think no matter what the situation is, if you can approach that with a positive headset or mindset, then it's going to be way more successful than if you approach it with a negative mindset. And the third one is if you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right, which is kind of related to the other two. But um, going back to the whole, you know, you really need to believe in yourself to be able to do it. If you think you can't do it, well, you're definitely right because you're not even going to try So I, you know, there are some limitations to that quote as well, but I always try and think if there's something I want to do, uh, you can make it happen.
1: For sure. And I think that's definitely the right headset to have. So would you have a philosophy for your horses or a training approach you take with your horses? Can you summarize something like that?
0: Yeah. So I've thought about this a lot as well lately because of uh, me launching more online things so videos and courses that will be coming out hopefully this year I've had to really think about okay what is my philosophy and training approach with horses and the thing is it's always adapting it's always changing and I think that's inevitable because you know we're always growing as trainers but I have to say that the two things that really summarize my Philosophy with horses is connection and communication and connection is all about the trust. It's the bond, it's the relationship, the confidence, the partnership that you have with your horse. So that's super important for me, but equally important is the communication, which is a two-way street. You need to learn how to read your horse and you need to teach your horse that he can also read you and your body language. So yeah, connection and communication would be the two words that kind of summarize my approach with horses.
1: Yeah amazing so your ultimate goal with horses does that just come down to a level in a discipline you're going to get to or having that communication and relationship what is your ultimate goal with your horses?
0: So I ever since I saw Elise Fremont do Grand Prix dressage bareback and bridleless I thought that is amazing I would love to be able to do that but I also want to be able to do Grand Prix dressage you know with saddle and bridle as well with light, happy, healthy and willing partners. I had a conversation with a dressage judge once uh, and it was a little bit sad because she just watched one of my dressage tests and she was telling me how nice it was to see a really light and happy and harmonious horse but she said enjoy it now because when you get to Grand Prix it's not going to feel like that and it made me feel really bad because I thought oh well if It's not gonna be light and harmonious at the top level. Why would I wanna go to that level? And then I really deconstructed it and thought, you know what? Anything is possible. I can get to Grand Prix with a happy, light, and willing horse. Like I I can make that happen. Other people have done that, so there's no reason why I can't as well. And so yeah, I would say that's my ultimate goal is to get to the highest level of dressage, but prioritize the relationship with my horse and make sure that my horse is a happy and healthy and willing and and um, enjoying their work as well but I have to say I'm also really into jumping too so I want to do a little bit of that along the way.
1: It sounds like such an amazing goal and a, a really positive headset to get to that discipline but in the mindset that you want to be and not what I guess is just the status quo so that's an incredible goal you set yourself there but um so what specifically about your horses then make your soul happy like you'd have so many special moments.
0: There are so many special moments and pretty much every day I have to pinch myself and just think, this is incredible that I get to do this with horses. Like, I just love spending time with them. I I feel free when I'm around them. I feel like superhuman when I'm with them, especially when I'm riding because, you know, you basically got four legs then and, you know, cantering through a paddock when a horse is completely with you, there's just no better feeling. The connectedness when you feel when you're at one with your horse. and especially the last few years, I felt this on an even deeper level because my horses are much more mentally connected with me than they have been when I've ridden in the past. And I especially felt this connectedness when I rode Harriet recently, uh, Brideless Jumping. I just felt, oh my goodness, it feels like I am a part of her. And that power and that elegance and beauty that they bring to, you know, the work that they do is just Magnificent. I'm honestly just in awe of them every single day. I'm just obsessed.
1: (laughs) That is so special. I think that connectiveness is amazing to have with such an incredible being and an animal in itself. So, is that your secret to success so far? That connection? Like, what do you think has been your secret to success so far with your horses?
0: Honestly, I think it's just my obsession. Like, I never have to motivate myself to ride. I'm, uh, that's the thing that I look forward to every single day. I could ride 15 horses a day, seven days a week, and I'd still want to ride more. <laughs> um, and, you know, not just riding, spending time with them as well. Like, I just, I'm so, I've never had to be pushed to ride. Even as a kid, I'd get up at 5 30 in the morning and ride before school in the dark. So <laughs> I just, and I, and then I'd get home and ride again after work, uh, after school. So <laughs> yeah, I think this natural obsession and drive is probably my secret. I'd say it, although it's probably not a secret because people see how much that I do. So it's, yeah, it's not really a secret, but yeah, I've always been this way. And I have to say as well, it's probably my growth mindset. The fact that I think everything can be learnt. You, you, yeah sure people can be born into a horsey family and have some natural skills around horses and riding but that stuff can be learned as well so I'm always seeking to be better
1: that's incredible so is there a specific horse that has changed the way you train like tell us about that horse have you come across one
0: I think every horse has influenced the way I train a little bit, and the more variety of horses that I play with now, the more I realize there is no one size fits all for every horse. But I have to say, out of my horses, uh, Beauty has been the one that has made me change the most because you really have to think outside the box with her, and she. I think there's a few different sayings around like you have to negotiate with a mare or something like geldings will do it you you can ask a stallion but you have to negotiate with a mare something like that and that is so true when it comes to her and it's made me really realize that not that I would like to force horses anyway but you really can't force a horse to do anything like you especially if you want to keep the relationship you really have to think outside the box and set your horse up to cause whatever you want to do uh, to be a fun and enjoyable thing for that horse. It's also made me realize that variety is extremely extremely important for young horses and any horse really, because if Beauty was in the arena seven days a week, being ridden in circles, she would shut down and she would not be a happy horse. So I give her as much variety and keep everything as playful as possible.
1: That's a good point as well. I guess that constant robotic feel of just going around and around in circle. That's not enjoyable for anyone. Not a student, not a teacher, no. not an animal, not a horse, you know. That is so boring and mundane and no one's going to enjoy that. So I think that's a really big point yeah. to pick up there is you've got to have that connection and that relationship. So for you, do you have a biggest failure? Like everything always looks so beautiful online, which I guess is one of these things as well, which people will struggle with. But do you have a big failure? What did you learn from it? And how did that failure actually set you up for success later on?
0: So I think I have lots of little failures pretty much every week. Like that's what, you know, I mean, to find a failure really, like I just think everyone has roadblocks which could be interpreted as failures, but they're not really failures if you're learning from them. But I have to say there was a time where I was studying, I was finishing my physio studies, and I actually was thinking, am I even going to be able to do horses? Like it's such a massive financial and time commitment I was a little bit burnt out. I was just competing every weekend um, and I was a little bit over it, to be honest. And I actually made the decision to sell my really, really good horse at the time. His name was Sherby and he was a beautiful warm blood at warm blood. And just before I sold him, I easily sold him. He was very, a very good horse. Um, just before, I think it was just after I sold him actually, and he was booked to go on a track to Victoria, Um, I got a letter saying that I was uh, selected for the national, um, future, uh, I think it was called the future development squad at that time. So that was pretty amazing. But even after that letter, I I went, nah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I sold him and honestly, that's, that's probably the biggest regret I have because he was a super horse and to this day, I feel like so bad that I sold him because I don't know. I just, I I hate selling horses and I feel like I should have kept him. But in saying that, no regrets because it's led me to where I am today. And, you know, you don't really want to change things about the past because they're all there for a reason. And that the reason I had to sell Sherby was to make me realize that I definitely wanted to still be involved in horses because 12 months later, I was miserable and I just thought something's missing from my life. I need to get back into horses. So I think that one year break from horses made me realise that, no, this is the thing that I have to do in my life.
1: Got you back to that headspace where you knew you needed to be. So we all have those defining moments, don't we? And I think what sort of advice... Do you think people should ignore when it comes to horses? Like there's so many different avenues advice comes in from whether it's a past trainer, your current trainer, online articles. What would you what do you think people should ignore when it comes to horses?
0: Yeah, there's so much information out there. We're absolutely flooded with different opinions and advice. One thing that I hear a lot that I think people should ignore is the phrase more leg, right? You always hear instructors, more leg, more leg. And I think it's not about more leg. If they're saying more leg, they mean, they probably mean the horse needs more energy or they needs, or the horse needs to be more reactive. And those things, if you add more leg, the horse is only just going to get more dull to that. The horse isn't understanding the leg. That's what you need to teach. So usually in those cases, the rider is already putting as much leg as they can on and the horse is thinking, please just take your legs off. So (laughs) I think, um, yeah, that, that more leg kind of phrase should be something that people not necessarily ignore, but think about it a little bit more and go, okay, why does my instructor keep saying more leg, more leg, you know, maybe my horse isn't responding to the leg, maybe my horse doesn't understand the leg. Um, maybe my horse isn't responsive enough. Maybe I'm not giving my horse enough release when the horse does put in some effort to be more energetic. So yeah, that's that's what I would say to that question.
1: I think a lot of people would love light and responsive horses. I mean, well lightness, you don't want to have to work three times as hard than you need to. It just doesn't make sense. Even for a beginner like myself, that doesn't add up. So I think that kind of explains um, one of the biggest mistakes you see people making with horses. But what's something you believe is true that a lot of horse people disagree with?
0: I believe that nose bands should be loose. I believe horses should live in herds. I don't believe that they should be isolated from each other. Even the really expensive horses I believe that not all horses have to wear shoes or rugs and a lot of people disagree with me on all of these things and it's these are very unpopular opinions. And look I, I'm not perfect I've been there I've had the tight nose bands um I don't think chewing is bad at all but I just don't think it should be done routinely just because the horse is being ridden and you know I've kept horses isolated as well you know there are reasons when you might need to do that but in general I think horses are so much happier when they can have that social interaction with each other and it, that's actually really what makes me happy is seeing my horses groom each other and play and yeah really I think it's so important for them.
1: Room to breathe and room to be horses and be their own being, being what they've been put on this earth to be. So I think I have a really another interesting question that's probably more related to an actual physical thing, but what horse-related purchase has most positively impacted your life in the last 12 months? Some people might be a rug or a float or a saddle. Like what has been your biggest purchase that's impacted you positively?
0: I'd have to say it's my... It's my Pivo, I've got a Pixum as well. Um, But I kind of felt bad because Daniel and his family bought me the Pixum for Christmas last year. And then I found out about the Pivo and bought one of those as well. And I use that way more than the Pixum simply because it's way easier to set up. So the Pivo, both of these um, things are robots that you attach your phone to that track you when you ride. So you, you can record yourself very easily using your phone, and um, it will follow you no matter where you go. So uh, I'm actually going to do a podca- podcast episode explaining the pros and cons for the Pivo and the Pixum. So I'll, I'll leave the, those details for that episode, but I'd have to say that the Pivo is probably the best purchase I've had in the last 12 months.
1: An amazing training tool, I think, for people that are at that yes. next level. They can look back and fine-tune their own efforts there so how incredible is that that we've got got to that stage where we can have a robot follow us around so amazing um if you could have dinner with any three horse people dead or alive who would it be and why
0: this is such a hard one because I feel like I don't know all the amazing horse people in the world right because some of them I aren't on social media so we don't know about them no um, which is a shame, really, because they should be out there promoting themselves. But anyway, um, the three people that I think are actually all alive. They're three of my favorite riders and trainers in the world. The first one is Anya Berrin. I believe that she is the best classical dressage rider in the world. She's just, her riding is just, you know, I can't fault it. She's just incredible. She's very quiet, and all her horses are light, and she makes it look effortless, right? She doesn't. She doesn't put the more leg on. <laughs> and then um, Ingrid Klimke, she is a super famous, well-known eventer and dressage rider, and she's very well decorated in medals from the Olympics and things like that. And she. I just think it's fantastic that she is the top of her game in two different disciplines and she also has a really positive attitude towards her horses as well, which I love. And then the third would have to be Karen Rolfe because she sort of uh, was a traditional dressage rider then got into the Pirelli program and then kind of made her own thing as well and I love her concepts I love her approach to horse training she's an excellent rider and trainer and coach and I really admire her and look up to her so I'd love to have dinner with those three people and because they're still alive maybe one day I will
1: who knows (laughs) we'll just tag them in this podcast and hopefully their people will meet your people and we can make it happen that would be that would be so good um if If you could turn back time and talk to yourself 10 or 20 years ago, um, what would you tell yourself?
0: This is a hard one because like I was saying earlier, I kind of have no regrets. Like everything that has happened so far has led me to where I am now. So I wouldn't necessarily want to change anything. But on a more general level, I would say to myself probably 10 and 20 years ago, actually, I'd say go for your dreams, follow your passion trust your gut, listen to your heart and don't listen to people who tell you that you can't.
1: Amazing. That's a perfect summary for you, really. You just are such a go-getter. So what a good little, it's like a little mantra for you, really. Yeah, but, um, what do I, <laughs> that should be your mantra. Um, I think, and it's not very often and I don't think you would have many of these things, but what are you not very good at when it comes to horses or even something else in your life other than cooking? Because we found that one out. <laughs>
0: Um, I'm not very good at a lot of things. I'm actually really hard on myself. A lot of the time I don't feel like I'm very good at all, <laughs> but I, at the moment I'm with jumping, I'm working on getting better at a uh, crest release. So offering my hands forward over a jump. Um, I'm not very good at that at the moment. Uh, I know a lot of trainers don't actually teach to do a crest release, but it's really important for me because I want my horses to feel freedom over the jump. And I'm really not very good at the moment with not interfering at a jump. Like I try and almost tell the horse where to jump and where to take off. And really, you should just allow your horse to take you over the jump. So yeah, that's something I'm not very good at, but I'm working on it.
1: It looked pretty incredible in your rain free jump you posted the other day. And I think that was a point you made on that post as well as if you let um, your horse go with their natural movement, it actually probably and corrected it a little bit better than what we were guiding half the time.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. So true.
1: But um, how how are you continuing to learn about horses? Like you previously mentioned, Karen Rolf, and I guess what are you currently studying to improve your knowledge?
0: I'm still looking into Karen's work. I've got her book, and I'm a member of her video classroom, so I'm always watching her videos and learning from her. Um, I also read all of Anya Barron's books, and I'm I've got her online lateral movements course as well. But I always keep my mind open. I'm always looking at new authors and new DVDs and things like recently I read one of Karen Wilsey's books and I bought her DVD about horse speak, which is really interesting. Um, And I'm also really interested in uh, the Horse Human Academy, um, which is by Greta. I can't remember her last name, but she's got an amazing Instagram account and her horses look lovely and light and happy. So I kind of look for writers that inspire me and uh, I sort of see if they offer some kind of online learning or if they have a book that I can look into so yeah that's sort of what I do when it comes to studying
1: incredible you just dropped a few big names there but do you have any specific podcasts you like listening to like horsey or non-horsey I know you do a lot of self-care and self-love and sort of self-improvement what have you got that you listen to
0: um, I I do listen to Karen Rolfe's podcast. I listen to a lot of self development as well. I love Jay Shetty. I, I love his book as well, I uh, Think Like a Monk. Um so yeah, definitely listen to that one. That's a really good one. That's a self development one. And I listen to a lot of like business and marketing um podcasts as well because I'm looking at taking my horsemanship coaching online and and some of those podcasts help me with that. And recently I've been listening to a podcast about podcasting to help me be better at podcasting. So yeah.
1: One more big question is if you had a billboard and you could have anything on it for all the horsey people to see, what would it say and why?
0: I would put an essay on there.
1: (laughs) You're only allowed a little billboard, Amalia. Um, No.
0: (laughs) I'd probably say I did everything, listen to your horse. Just listen to your horse. Like just that's it. (laughs) Because that that
1: is an amazing sentence. Yeah,
0: well, that's what it all comes back to really because your horse will tell you everything. Like quite often when my horses aren't going the way I hope they're going. They're actually giving me feedback. They're actually telling me that I need to be better. I need to do something different. And in a way, like previously, that's made me really frustrated and I've gotten down when when those things happen. But now I go, okay, good. I'm going to level up. I'm just about to become better because she's telling me I'm not good enough and I've got to change. So Yeah, I think if everyone could just stop and listen to their horse and learn how to listen to their horse, then their whole relationship and dynamic with their horses would change completely.
1: How amazing. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview you and do a little bit of a profile on you. I think there's so many incredible things I can and all the listeners can take out of these questions and write down and learn from. So yeah, thank you again for being your amazing self and keep pushing on and kicking those goals. Thank you.
0: We did really well to keep it like, did we go under an hour? I think, yeah, we did under an hour. We thought it would be two hours. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you really enjoyed that interview and found out a little bit more about me. If you like this episode, please subscribe. Please leave me a rating and review. And don't forget, I'm offering those 10 tips to improve your relationship with your horse. If you screenshot this episode and share on your story, or if you leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you have a great day and I'll catch you next time on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions from today's show, suggestions for future episodes, or just want to reach out and say hi, I would love to connect with you on Instagram at amalia underscore horses. Remember to also register for my free connection and communication mini course at amaliadempsey.com.